Okay, let's go. Today is going to be a unique version of the Hagen's Alley Books podcast because we have a new book launch, uh, Hidden Gaming Gems, Generation by Generation. And what we're going to do is talk a little bit about it and go over all the nuances, a little bit of history behind it, why it exists, and why we're finally getting around to getting this volume one done. Let's go ahead and start it off. A um, little bit of music here is from Star Tropics. Uh, do this one as a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a shorter episode. But um, the first book that I released was Hidden Treasures, Rare and Unappreciated Gems. It was released in Europe around 2012 by uh, over here by Pixel Nation in Europe. So basically, the book consisted of about 160 pages. Um, the company actually went out of business uh, before they could do a massive print run. And then gave me all the files. I did a quick print run of it and basically realized that um, you know I need to modify things and make them a little better quality-wise and craziness-wise. So then I actually moved on to the complete NES, and nine books later, I'm finally getting around to releasing it in my original title, which was Hidden Gaming Gems, generation by generation, because it covers every generation of games, and instead of doing about 160 pages with six chapters, is what it initially had, it now has ten chapters already, with the possibility of two extra chapters in Kickstarter here to expand things, and it's already at 400 pages. Uh, there's uh, multiple contributors that are going to give reviews to the book, which is going to greatly expand how big things are going to get with this book. So what I want to do is go over you know, what makes a hidden gaming gem, um, how we put games in the book, and what I consider a hidden gaming gem versus what you might consider in gaming gem. So first of all, I wanted to do every generation because I figured that would be a really cool way to split up the chapters. So basically, you start all the way at the beginning, and actually, a buddy of mine, Leonard Herman, who is like the gaming scholar of retro gaming, like he's the one who started writing long, long time ago, and his book, uh, Phoenix Four is like eight, nine hundred pages now, and it's continuing to grow and get larger and larger, and it covers everything on video games. Super crazy history. So I figured, who better than Leonard Herman to do the first generation of gaming, the historical beginnings of gaming? And Leonard wrote a great piece for the for the book. Um, it's awesome, because I didn't actually have the first generation. I started with the second generation in my original book. So now, the circle is complete. We start all the way at the beginning, which is really cool. Um, and then after that, we go into the Atari 2600. And so basically, there's a lot of games for the Atari 2600 that are really cool. But it's one of those things where you basically just got to think about like games you've never played. It's not games that you've never heard of, but games that you never played back in the day. So like... 
Yesterday versus nowadays is something that I always take into consideration. So, like, stuff that we played back in the day, like the Pitfalls and the Mario Brothers and the Donkey Kongs. But, like, the like the first game that I cover in the book is Hero, H-E-R-O, for the Atari 2600. And it's really crazy. Activision game, Activision wasn't necessarily rare, but I feel like... I never heard of it growing up, and I always, once I played it, I was like, holy cow, this is a full gaming experience on the Atari 2600, and that's just one of those things where you you gotta focus on stuff like that when it can, when it's considered, like, a hidden gaming gem, because it's like a little gem that's hidden. Other ones are like 3D games like Crypts of Chaos on the Atari 2600, and it's like a dungeon crawler type thing on the you know, in the very second gaming generation. And then games like everybody's heard of River Raid, well, there's a sequel. So, like, covering stuff that you may not have heard of. Um, Another system that I grew up with as a kid was the Commodore 64. And Friday the 13th actually had a release on the Commodore 64s. And it was a completely different type of game than the NES one that we're used to. Um, other contributors like Kyle from VGBS, he, um, covered Junior Pac-Man on the Atari 2600. And if you think about it, like, Junior Pac-Man was a game that, you know, the original Pac-Man was so hated, but Junior Pac-Man's a solid one. So he's like, well, here's a little game that nobody really talked about. Um, I cover a few others too in there, and, um, the music that you're hearing right now, Star Tropics. Uh, Eric Bailey from Skirmish Frogs covered that one, and basically he's, it's just a game that he feels that, you know, doesn't get enough love from Nintendo itself. A lot of gamers know of Star Tropics. It's not, it's not even necessarily a rare, it's, it's, a, it's not necessarily that much of a rare game, and it's not that expensive of a game, but it's definitely unappreciated, and it's just a classic, classic game. All of these pages that we go through too. Like, I have full page screenshots of the games. Um, that combined with artwork and fan art. I'm gonna reach out to any of the artists that I could find, but it's just one of those cool things where everything has giant, giant art to accompany all of the text. Um, another interesting one, and during the 8 bit generation, we're in the second chapter, is uh, Ninja Gaiden. But Ninja Gaiden on the Master System, which is essentially the fourth Ninja Gaiden game. So I know I've seen some videos and things like that on the surrogate fourth game of the Ninja Gaiden series. But it's just one of those things that, like, back in the day, we had no clue. Um, we didn't know there was another Ninja Gaiden that's completely different levels, completely different play mechanics and all that. It's just a really cool thing to know is that there's so many out there that people may not have played um another gem that's definitely unappreciated would be like gargoyles quest on the game boy really really cool um there's a lot more where that comes from but let's go over to the 16-bit generation um and i'm gonna do like a couple games per for the rest just to give you a little taste of what might be in the book um alkahist is one for the super famicom japanese super nintendo it's essentially like a Zelda-style game. Um, you get 
different types of power-ups and magic and characters company around. Really, really cool uh, game that was out there. Uh, games like The Fireman on the Super Nintendo. Um, one that's pretty unappreciated fighting game-wise, because in the 16-bit generation, it was all known about fighters, was the Eternal Champions series, but there's a sequel on the Sega CD. So, Eternal Champions was released on the Genesis. On the Sega CD was the sequel, and it's Eternal Champions Challenge from the Dark Side. And my wife and I play the game all the time because it's a solid, solid game. And I feel like it's better than the actual Genesis version. It has a lot more characters, everything. And it's a classic because there's so much violence and gore that the Sega Genesis and Sega CD were known for back in the day. Um, it's, it's a little bit on the harder side, though, for sure. But it's definitely a reason to own a Sega CD, and it's an awesome little unappreciated gaming gem. Then there's different types. Like, I know there's a lot of um, contributors that are going to be submitting into this generation because it's, it's a crazy one. I'm going through and talking about other types of games. Um, Blast Core for me on the Nintendo 64, that is definitely... More of a hidden gem um, because nobody really talks about it. Like, people know it exists because the 64 has such a small library, but the game is very solid. It's a unique type of play style. The graphics still hold up decent today. There's multiple different types of vehicles that you can use to destroy blocks and things, and it was just one of those games that I always, always played. And nobody really talks about Blast Core at all. So it's always interesting. Um, and then I'm going to go into the obscure with like Judgment Silver Sword, which is on the Wonder Swan Color, which is a Japanese handheld system. Uh, and what's cool about the, the Wonder Swan, though, is it's created by Gunpei Yokoi. And this game was part of a like competition. And the winner, which was this game actually got their game produced physically by the company and like they farmed it out to this M. Kai company and it was back in 2004 so this is like 14 years ago now which is crazy and you turn the handheld sideways and play it like it's a arcade like longer screen really really cool but like games like that and like Ghost and Goblins, which is my Kimura for the original Wonder Swan, which is a brand new, again, fourth Ghost and Goblins game. So many unique experiences out there. Um, the next generation, I mean, there's a game that I personally love, which is finally getting a, a sequel now on the, the PC, but it was Fire Pro Wrestling Returns on the PlayStation 2. Loved that game. And you could essentially have like 800 plus wrestlers. And it's just like crazy how many different wrestlers. And I remember I went through and customized my entire memory card. Created every wrestler that I knew about at the time. And so like I could play crazy ass matches. I mean, it's just ridiculous. The only thing I really wanted in that was like to be able to use them in like some kind of a story mode. But, like, you could create your own. So, it's more of, like, imagination style. But the mechanics, everything, like, if you were a pro wrestling fan at all, this is, like, your dream game. And I haven't played the new one, but it's it's got to be right up there. Um, 
let's see here. Star Fox Adventures on the GameCube. Nobody really talks about that much. And, you know, it's a very solid action game that was, you know, initially supposed to be Dinosaur Planet and then kind of threw the Star Fox license on there by Nintendo just to get it more exposure. Um, didn't really help, but that's why it's rare and unappreciated. Um, jumping into the next generation, so you have your your PS3s, your Xbox 360s, and your Wii's. I mean, the Wii was known for its shovelware and a lot of stuff kind of slipped through the cracks. One that I always loved, and it was developed by Platinum Games, um, released by Sega, and it's Mad World, which is like a stylized, you know, um, black and white game with red blood. That's all, like the only colors were like red and some yellow HUD stuff, and like you creatively kill everybody. It's freaking awesome. Um, Muramasa Demon Blade on the Wii. Freaking excellent game. Zack and Wiki. Um, another one, like, there's just some games on the Wii that were, were pretty awesome that I'm going to cover in this book. Um, the, the cover of the original book was 3D Dot Game Heroes for the PS3. Um, and this is where things stopped in the original book because it was released out in 2012. So it was right in the end, the tail end of that generation. And basically 3D Dot Game Heroes is Legend of Zelda. Um, pixelated but 3D pixelated and you can create your own characters so you can create Link if you want to play through it um, it's a complete like love letter to The Legend of Zelda and Zelda is my favorite series of all time so I definitely had to talk about it um, the Mega Man ZX series is never talked about that's another one so that one's released on the Nintendo DS and nobody ever talks about that either and the thing is, is that I already know some contributors are going to be writing in the PS2 and PS3 eras and 360 games and talking about some stuff that I've even never heard of, which is awesome because, you know, as I start doing complete books, I'm going to continue to move forward. But that's going to be a long time from now. So um, going through to the next generation, this is the future is retro. It's the eighth generation, which is PS4, Xbox One, the Vita, the Wii U. The thing is, is we're kind of in an incremental generation right now where we have a second, more powerful version of the, the PS4 and the Xbox One with the Pro and the X, um, whereas Nintendo created a new generation. So it's interesting to categorize things, and I'm including PSVR and normal VR and you know on the PC and all that as like the next incremental generation as well for the ninth. But in the eighth... Um, I'm covering, like, retro-stylized games like Oxium Verge by Thomas Happ. That's just, like, an excellent game. Um, and they kind of get, like, it's like a use and rinse type mentality nowadays where people play stuff and just move on so quickly because they're always looking to review the newest thing. So there's, like, so many games that people were talking about for, like, a day. And then all of a sudden they move on to the next thing. Um, on the Wii U, the wonderful 101 excellent excellent experience um one that you could see in the trailer titan souls i love that game and it's on the ps vita that i played it on it's also released on the ps4 and that one is essentially like a legend of zelda game but you're the overworld is like empty and you gotta like kind of use the maze to find your way and you find these stylized boss fights and it's really really fun it's a full game awesome and it's really crazy um Sunset Overdrive by Insomniac Games. Love that game. Super stylized. I feel like it's unappreciated because it's so crazy. It like you could literally grind on everything in that 3D game. 
um, and like flawlessly jump and shoot stuff, and you feel like a badass while you play that game. It's really ridiculous. It's like pop culture in a um, in a can. Like it's just so ridiculous. It makes fun of stuff, makes fun of itself. Uh, it, it definitely needs to be um, talked about. Um, games like Super Time Force, where it's you know stylized retro game again but you can slow down time rewind things as you play through more and more characters get built up as long as you can beat the game the level within the prescribed amount of time you can keep adding characters as you go through to eventually complete it it's like basically i call it contra and crack um going into the nintendo switch era i know there's a lot of people excited about the switch i'm talking about games like golf story um you know, right now, when the Switch was first released, it was there was only a few games, so everybody was like playing Golf Story. But I feel like that one's going to be kind of forgotten as people continually move on to the greatest and the next. One that I played that was just out of nowhere was Slain Back from Hell, which reminds me completely of the 16-bit generation. The, the game is amazing. Um, crazy boss fights. It, it really reminds me of like the um, second samurai type thing, type game. Uh, Wolf Child for the NES. Just it completely like a metal style, which, you know, if you know me and being part of a metal band back in the day, uh, Slain is just like a really amazing treat to play. Um, there's games like uh, Kamiko, which was another early release that kind of I feel like it's going to get you know, like, forgotten about, and stuff like, um, I have one contributor, um, from MES, from episode one, David Ortiz, he wants to do Celeste, which I feel like is amazing, um, the other thing is, is that there's a whole community out there for the, the final chapter that I have already in the book, which is the, the indie and homebrew section, so basically these are people that are making games essentially by themselves, and it's a unique opportunity to talk about new games for old systems and people that have read my NES oddities and the definitive SNES and other books as I continue to go on will know that I love these games and I will cover them as much as I can. Um, the original Hidden Treasures book, actually for the NES, I included Battle Kid Fortress of Peril, which is the first NES homebrew that I really played. And it completely pulled me in. It's an amazing treat. Um, plays like Mega Man, but with one-hit deaths. Awesome. And just showed me that, hell, there's new full-game experiences on the NES, and opened up a new world. Um, then digging deep, like, there's games on the Commodore 64, which, you can't really call it a homebrew scene there, because that's the Commodore in itself. Like, there was always sing- like small groups programming for that home computer the whole time and a game like soulless um it was a citronic software they've done so many games recently on the system and they're all like really stylized awesome platformer soulless is like a avoiding type of platformer which is puzzly style and is awesome and it's just a really super fun game there's another game night and grail another game that I played that's just like blows me away with how unique and awesome you can make an experience on the Commodore 64 um, another game when you talk indie games and homebrew on original systems and it's 
a bit bigger of a group than like a single coder in their basement, but and transcends the name of homebrew where we need a really, we really need a new je- definition of it, but everybody knows what a homebrew game is. Um, the game I'm talking about is Pure Solar and the Great Architects on the Sega Genesis Mega Drive. Um, it is an RPG that is just amazing. And they've re- they've taken that to crowdfunding, ported it over in HD um, to modern 8th generation consoles, um, and put it on the Sega Dreamcast. It's a really, really cool type game. And another one that really just shows how far you can push the limits. Uh, the Mad Wizard is another one that I've talked about on VGBS before. It's created by Sly Dog Studios. Um, same guys who created Jeffrey Wittenhagen's Black Box Challenge. Um, I'm also going to cover that game because it's not it's it's a little bit hidden. I mean, people aren't going to really know about Black Box Challenge or The Mad Wizard because it's released on such a small scale. Black Box Challenge itself is released by me, and I only released, I want to say, under 120 copies when you include the 30 limiteds. I think there was only 80 of the regular CIBs, and then maybe another 10 or so card onlys. So there's only 100 or so people that have really played the game. So, like, games like The Mad Wizard are like a slower platformer-style puzzle game, which is amazing. And then Black Box Challenge is like a RPG that has almost a Mike Tyson's Punch-Out-style gameplay where if you know how to dodge and time things and learn the mechanics, you can play the game forever and not get hit. Um, Other games that are amazing, like by... Airwalk Studios back in 2014, Fix-It Felix. So there's a Fix-It Felix game based on the movie Record Ralph. That's the arcade that was the backbone of the story of that film. Um, amazing treats. Amazing treats. Um, just going through and you know, just liking all the different passion behind people that are going through, which is amazing. Um... Just going through this, though, is like a blast from the past. Uh, and recently, I kind of jumped over to the MSX computer as well, which is, you know, Microsoft-based computers back in the day in Japan, but it's a cartridge-based system. Kind of like, I almost call it the Konami system, because Konami has a lot of classic Famicom-style ports, so it's really like a... Like kind of like how the Commodore 64 is a little bit more advanced than the Atari 2600 and a little bit lower than the Nintendo. The MSX is right about like there's the MSX1 games that are a little almost on par with the NES. And then you have MSX2 games which are like in between the NES and Sega Genesis which is really, really cool. Uh, the MSX has a really strong homebrew scene. There's, like, shoot 'em ups like Wing Warriors that I'll be covering that are just excellent games. Um, and then, jumping into the next generation, the Sega Dreamcast and Neo Geo have a lot of awesome brand-new games for it. One of my favorites is called Gun Lord, released on the Neo Geo and Dreamcast. I have the Dreamcast copy, but, like... That homebrew scene is insane. NG Dev Team does the re- some of the re- best releases on the Neo Geo nowadays, and it's five hundred dollars to pre-order. If and 
most of us that pre-order them, because I only have pre-ordered their latest game, which is called Krautbuster, which isn't out yet. And it's like a, you basically, they open it up for pre-orders, and you back that early, early. And you wait for, like, years for the game to come out. Well, Golden Lord came out, and it is like a crazy Turrican-style non-linear game. It's amazing. And basically an awesome game that I would recommend anybody play. Uh, the Neo Geo one, though, like, after it sells out for $500, you have to buy it on eBay or from somebody, and it usually costs a couple grand, like a couple thousand dollars for one game. It's insane, but the games are really well-polished. Full retro-style experiences definitely look like a Neo Geo game. Boss fights are gigantic in Gunlord. It's just an amazing game. So much artwork with that one. This spread is one of my favorite spreads in the book. It's And this is after 300 pages. Um, and you know, I have some of the screenshots that are, look amazing. And the artwork that goes from it from the covers. It's just an awesome, awesome experience. So, basically, you know, that that's a lot of what is in the book. Not all of the games. I covered only a handful of them. Um, I have a lot of contributors. Uh, I know Sergio um, Elizondo, he's going to be covering uh, one that he feels like is unappreciated, not rare at all, is River City Ransom. And he loves that game and wants to, wants an opportunity to talk about it. And I was like, well, absolutely. Because everybody considers a game a hidden gem differently from one another. So that is the coolest thing about you know this project. Um, so for stretch goals, um, so right now we're on track to fund. I mean, it's getting closer. I think we're almost at 75% at this point while I'm recording this. But once we, you know, hit the first stretch goal, um, I'm going to add arcade section. So there are a couple arcade games that are thrown into their generation. Well, what I'll do is I'll pull those into their own chapter and I'm going to write about, I have about another half dozen arcade games that I love that nobody really knows about. I mean, I was doing single credit games on the Xbox coin ops for a while and I found a ton of treats. That's literally me hitting randomize and playing a arcade game or a classic game just to fruition. And so I have a lot of little games like Wardner that I would like to write about, which I actually played at a bar and a restaurant back in the day where I grew up, and it was called Pyros, and I had no clue about it, and then, lo and behold, there's actually a Sega Genesis version of the game, and it's it's a really solid arcade game, though. Like, the home ports don't hold a candle to the, like, nostalgia of that arcade. Um, at 20k, as we're gonna add, which, that was 15k, so, so 6k is what's gonna get it funded for a small print run. Which is always what I hit. I hit my minimum amount that I can do a small book print run at, and that'd be 6K. At 15K, we're going to add the arcade section. Um, and then 20K, uh, an extra bookmark ribbon. So second bookmark ribbon will be a different color. That's about where the normal Kickstarters go um, for the book. And then if we get hit 25, I'm going to add PC and home computers. As you noticed, I talked about like the Commodore and the MSX. Those will be in its own section. Um, and basically there's a lot more I can delve into all the different types of home computers. Um, some of the experiences I've played on the Amiga, 
um, and on the ZX Spectrum and classics that are just untalked, like not talked about in the U.S. at all, and give a deeper appreciation for for gamers. Um, and going down the path, because I used on the Kickstarter, it's like Sea Island on um, Star Tropics. Going down the path, um, at 30k, it, I'll be able to add an animated slipcase, which means there'll be enough funding in there for me to be able to add the lenticular animation to the slipcase. Um, and I'll probably start doing swag at that point, too, like doing like bookmarks and stickers and craziness. Um, and basically, I'm leaving it there at that much of a stretch goal because, I mean, I've had books raised that much before, so that's a good goal for me. Um, and basically, it's just um, my goal for going forward throughout this is I want to talk about hidden gaming gems on social media. Hopefully, everybody chats. Um, let me know what your hidden gaming gems are because, you know, it's really fun to talk about. This is going to be one of the more interesting books because with the first book, I had a couple buddies and people that I knew online write with me. Now it's the vast, you know, community that enjoy the books that are going to, you know, help and contribute and write. And it's going to be an amazing experience uh, going forward because, you know, I say it's going to be 400 pages. Well, looking at the formatting without any of the contributors, it's already at 354. And there's still a couple more games I'm going to fully write about. And then I still got to add all the extra, like, treats. So, an interesting thing is, for contributions, you're going to have a couple different routes you can go. You could either write about a hidden gaming gem, like, fully, do a four to eight page review, because these reviews are pretty big. But you can write your four to eight page review if you want. Or, you could write a just little quick thing on one of your favorite games that you feel is unappreciated, and... Um, I will create a section kind of like in the definitive SNES where, you know, depending on how many we get, um, it would be in the back of the book or at the end of each chapter where you can talk about, like, your games in short succession. And you could do multiple of those if you're a contributor. So that's I'm going to spell that out in a, in a future update and email to those backers that are contributing is that what route do you want to go? If you're not a crazy like me, writer, where you can write tons and tons and tons about a game, but you just want to talk about your favorite hidden gaming gems, you absolutely can, and I'll give you that opportunity as well. And everything will be edited by, I have an editor, so that he will go through and make sure everything flows, is cohesive, works well together, so that'll be a really solid aspect. Um, Hopefully everything, you know, because the weekends, obviously it's summertime, so... Weekends are a little bit slower, and we're still doing really excellent on the actual Kickstarter campaign. Uh, this week will be a, a big one. It'll be really fun, and we'll see how you know far things go. Um, thanks, everybody, who supported us so far. It's um, I think we're over, we're over 70 backers, which is amazing. Um, and let's keep things going crazy. You know, you guys all motivate me. I'm, I'm going to keep doing books forever at this point just because it's so it's so fun and it's awesome to see that everybody gets an appreciation of uh, what I've been putting out there. Um, you know, as the other aspect that I've added, um, I had a few people ask if they could add old books onto it and I have three books that are available in stock well two that are available one that's 
going to be available like within a week or two. And it's um, the NES Oddities and then the Nintendo Compendium. Both of those are available. And the definitive SNES, which the fixes should be available here soon. Um, all of those I'm allowing people to add on, and the price is uh, 20% off. Like It's like 10 bucks off, basically, each cover price, um, which was what the backer rate is. Um, that being said, the books, I keep them typically $10 cheaper than what I'm going to sell them for later to help recoup costs. So anybody who backs gets it at the, the best price possible, and I'm trying to keep things really affordable for giant full color awesome retro gaming books um thanks everybody for your support and stay retro